The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning, Bereans. Happy New Year. We're going to get back to 1 Thessalonians next week. Probably finish it next week, as a matter of fact. But for our study this morning, I wanted to try to just, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite subjects, the sovereignty of God, and just try to encourage you to trust in the Lord this coming year, no matter what this year brings, no matter what you have to deal with. On January 10th, 2021, two years ago, I said this, we're 10 days away from the presidential inauguration. How are you feeling? I feel great, because I'm stupid. (laughs) I have every confidence that President Trump will have another four years as our president. I believe that in the next 10 days, we're going to see some mind-blowing stuff as Trump makes arrests and takes down the deep state. This election was stolen, and those who certified the election have committed treason. The evidence is overwhelming. Now, hold on a minute. Before you break out the stones and try to stone me as a false prophet, understand that I said, I believe, okay? I didn't say, thus says the Lord. I was giving my opinion. I wasn't prophesying. And just so you know how I feel about prophecy, we just finished two messages in Thessalonians on prophecy. I don't believe the gift is for today, so I wasn't prophesying. I was just giving my, obviously, very uneducated opinion on this, all right? Um. I can't believe that was two years ago. I'm still waiting. I I tell you, I I never, and I probably said it to you, I I never thought the midterm elections would happen. Because to me, what would be the point? They stole 2020. What's the point of having more elections? And people are talking about 24. There's no point in 24. The elections are stolen. Until we fix the problem, we're just kicking the can down the road. I said recently that I believe President Trump would be back in office before the end of last year. <laughs> Wrong again. <laughs> so, no more, my New Year's resolution, no more predictions. <laughs> no more predictions. And I apologize for misleading you in any way with some of these things. I just was absolutely convinced this stuff was going to happen. But let me say... Okay, hang on. I still believe that the 2020 election will be overturned and Trump will return to office. Now, how anyone can believe, anybody that has senses, can believe that the 2020 election was won legitimately by Biden is beyond me. Trump's having rallies. Tens of thousands of people are attending the rallies. Biden's in his basement the whole time, mumbling and stumbling. No one even knows what he's saying. He comes out once in a while to speak to 12 people that are in crop circles of six feet, you know, and it's just, but he got more votes than any president ever. People, just use your brain. They're lying to us. That's just, it's so wrong. So I'm holding out hope, okay? And if you remember, November 15th, 2022, President Trump gave a speech from Mar-a-Lago. And everybody, it was just so disappointing. 
to most people, but it was loaded with comms like most of his stuff is. Here's something that President Trump said in that speech. Pretty soon, we're going to put our beautiful flag on the surface of Mars. (laughs) Does that make any sense to anybody? What does he talk? Who cares about Mars and a flag and what is all that about? Well, you care if you know what Mars is, okay? Mars stands for Military Auxiliary Radio System, which is the Emergency Broadcasting System. And I believe, and people have talked about this for years, of course, that the Emergency Broadcast System will be used to announce the overturning of the 2020 election and the return of Trump as he's reinstated to office. So I want you to know that Trump said soon. Now, we know what soon means, but it could last 40 years, I hope not. I mean, I'm, I'm confident that he uses using soon in a sense that we probably understand, but I, I don't think he just says things to say them. Uh, the man is a genius, and I think there's things going on that none of us, so many of us know nothing about. But I'm holding out hope because I just think our country can do better than it is doing. But, for right now, the things that we see happening in our country, I think, should make us sick to our stomach. Should make us cry out. Should make us say, why God, what is happening here? I mean, our southern border is wide open and people are pouring through like crazy. Many of them left out of prisons in other countries. Murderers, drug dealers, rapists, pouring in, unchecked. Just come on in our country. Some of our braver governors are loading them up and sending them up to Kamala's house. Okay? That, I just, you got to love people that are take a stand like that. Right now, they say we're, our inflation is 7.1%. You know they underestimate everything. Okay? And if you buy anything lately, you've noticed the prices are ridiculous. The thing that troubles me about that is there's some people that were barely making it as it is. What are they doing now? I mean, this is crippling to some people. Some of us, it's an inconvenience. It costs more money, but we have it. But some people don't have it. And and while Americans are suffering, the Senate just passed a $1.7 trillion ominous bill deal. $1.7 trillion. Which gives $45 billion in emergency funding to support the Ukraine. How many billions have we sent to Ukraine already? You know, we set the government up in Ukraine that's in Ukraine. It's one of the most corrupt governments there is. And we're sending all our money over there. It's money laundering is all it is, okay? This bill includes $47.5 billion for the National Institutes of Health, another corrupt organization, all right? $9.2 billion for the Centers of Disease Control. you got to love this one. $200 million for Gender Equality Action Fund, which is to be used to promote gender programs in Pakistan. $200 million for gender programs in Pakistan. Okay, let me straighten this out for you. Jen, this is a man, this is a woman. Done, okay? Give me the money. What are they doing? Now, let me show you where a lot of this money is going, and you'll get the picture of what's happening here. $286 million for Title X funding, which funds groups like Planned Parenthood. They want to kill our children. Okay? Our government is bent on depopulation. They've earmarked 
$105,000 for LGBTQ plus mentoring program at the Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Greater Pittsburgh. $856,000 for facilities and equipment at an LGBT center in New York. $1.2 million for LGBT support centers at San Diego Community College. $750,000 is set aside for transitional housing and services for LGBT and gender nonconforming in Albany, New York. $1.5 million for loft or lesbians and gay community service centers in New York. They are funneling millions of taxpayer dollars into these LGBT groups peddling radical gender ideology. Many of those dollars going to organizations that target youth. This is our money. These are our tax dollars. But this is kind of the whole bent of the Biden administration. See, the Biden administration hires people based on their wokeness, not their qualifications. Okay? This is Rachel Levine. This is the guy who says he's Rachel Levine, the Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services. He doesn't even know what gender. He's going to tell you how to be healthy. This is the highest ranking transgender official in the Biden administration. And the bald guy next to him, her, whatever, Sam Britton. He's the Deputy Assistant, was Deputy Assistant Secretary for Spent Fuel and Waste Deposits, are He's basically he's responsible for nuclear fuel and radioactive waste. Now, Sam was put on disciplinary action because he was stealing luggage from the airport. So then the, they put him on a leave, and then he got caught again stealing luggage from the airport. Now, I don't know what's... You could tell he's a little not right in the head, okay, but he's out there stealing people's luggage. Two different incidents. You know, you look at stuff like this and you just think, what is happening? What is happening to our country? It just seems to move further and further away from God. Wrong becomes right. Right has become wrong. Men are becoming women. Women are becoming men. We don't even know what it is anymore. Yeah, it's total insanity. And our tax dollars are paying for a lot of this nonsense. I mean, when you hire someone for the government, you hope we hire them on qualifications, not wokeness. Okay? I could go on for a long time talking about the problems in our government. (laughs) But I think you get the point. And Veronica talked about it. Whatever they do, if the government tells you to do this, do the exact opposite. You'll be much better off. Because they're just messed up on every level. And there's an agenda. It's not an accident. Okay? And, and as Christians, God-fearing Christians, how do we deal with this stuff in this country? How do we see our country deteriorating at such a rapid rate? What do we do? It can be depressing. It can be discouraging. And when it seems like your world is falling apart, what do you do? I think we know what we should do. We should trust God. But many of us today end up like King David, and we're just drooling on ourselves. <laughs> You know, because we just see it and it's just like, Lord, what is happening here? 
How is this happening to our country? How does it, you know, what chance do our kids have growing up in a, in a thing like this? And I'll tell you, people, I think it's more than just this whole gay, transgender, whatever. It's more than just being pushed on us. I think there's something chemical going on in our food. Okay? I really think they're, they're I know they're trying to depopulate. They're open about that. They don't try to hide that. They don't want all these people on the earth. Okay? So something is going on. It's scary. But let's look at how David dealt with this situation. It says, David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So he's afraid of Saul, so he runs and he ends up at Gath. He ends up at Achish and the king of Gath there. And the servants of Achish said to him, Hey, isn't this David, the king of the land? Didn't they sing to one another of him and dance? Saul has struck down thousands, and David is ten thousands? I mean, this is a mighty warrior. This is David. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid. They're talking about he, David's a warrior, and he's afraid. Of, he's afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane. In their hands, and he made marks on the door of the gate. In other words, he's scribbling on the gate and drooling all over himself. And they're like, and the king, of, the king goes, do I need more madmen? Get this guy out of here. You know, I don't need any more crazy people around here. All right? People, we have to understand, this is David the giant killer. This is David who went before this giant with a bag of rocks and a sling and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that takes on the name of my God, and he went out there and he kills this guy and cuts his head off. What happened to him? Well, fear is controlling David. He's filled with anxiety. And so instead of calling on God, he handles it himself and he acts like he's crazy, so the king will just let him go. You're not going to be afraid of a crazy man. And David's ploy worked. And the king sent him away, but he's still afraid and he's still running from Saul 22.1 22.1 says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Okay, so here David is in the cave, and he starts to think about, man, I have been a real jerk. I have been a real idiot here. And so he starts figuring out what's really going on. He's, he's apart from the action, and he's just sitting there thinking... Do you think that God could have delivered him from Achish? Yeah, did he think so? Theologically, yes, but he's focusing on the problem and he's not thinking about his God. Well, in Psalm 57, which is written from this cave, David's in the cave, he starts thinking about things, he puts his theology back together by basically going over his theology. And notice what he says in Psalm 57. He says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. Okay, that's a that's progress, okay? He wasn't taking refuge in God before. Now he's starting to say, I gotta, I gotta trust in you. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. In other words, I'm coming to you, Lord, I'm gonna trust in you till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose in me. He will send from heaven and save me. That's what he's looking forward to. God, deliver me. And, and the word save here, it's not like we think, so. Oh, we're going to get born again. That's not what it's talking about. It's deliverance. 
Okay, he will deliver me. Excuse me. He will put to sh- he will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over the, all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. He's, he's reviewing his theology. He's getting excited. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So he begins to focus. Sit down and focus on his theology and his strength and his stability begin to return. He had forgotten that God was on his side. Have you ever done that? You know, your theology works great on Sunday, but during the week you hit the wall of trials and trouble and persecution, and you start to panic, and you find yourself sitting there drooling on yourself, scribbling on the walls. How am I going to deal with this? People, if we have an awareness that God is sovereign and that He is on our side, we will have stability in life. Because why should we ever worry? Why should we fear when we know that God's sovereign and we know the sovereign God loves us? We see the same idea in Habakkuk. The idea of fear being turned to faith when we focus on Yahweh. And the thing we can learn from Habakkuk is that a mind fixed on Yahweh can turn doubts into devotion and confusion into confidence. So get to Habakkuk, go to Matthew and take a left five books and you end up at Habakkuk. And it says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Yahweh, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Judah was a mess. There was all kinds of corruption going on. And Habakkuk crying out, Lord, how can you allow all this stuff? How do you, why don't you do something about this? Why do you sit idly by and look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. Boy, I could be crying this out right now, okay? For the wicked surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. For almost two years, people have been in prison because they walked into the Capitol on January 6th. The people's house. They didn't take guns. They didn't threaten anybody. They didn't hurt anybody. They just walked in. They were invited in by the police. They walked in and they're in prison. Two years. Justice goes forth perverted. And Habakkuk's saying, why don't you do something, Lord? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why do you allow all this evil to go on? (laughs) Like I said, I feel that way a lot. This is how I feel when I hear about some of the things that are going on right now. Things like adrenochrome. Things like child sacrifice. I know there's people out there saying, you shouldn't say that, that's ridiculous. Wake up. Wake up. Pedophilia. 
depopulation. This is not stuff they're even trying to cover up anymore. They're just in your face with it. Our government's involved in all these things. In verses 5-11, through 11, we have God's response, basically. And the change of speakers is apparent from the verbs. Now He says, look and see. And in the Hebrew, it includes the plural you. So Yahweh is speaking. And He says, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I'm going to do a work in your days that you will not believe if I told you. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the bitter and hasty nation who march through the breath of the earth and seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. In verse 10, he says, these Chaldeans, they pile up earth and take it. The Babylonians were known for, when they took a city, they would just bring dirt in and just keep piling up in front of the walls until they had a ramp, and they just go right up the ramp into the city. And they were fierce people. They didn't have any mercy. And now Habakkuk has a worse problem. <laughs> He's saying, God, why don't you do something? Why don't you fix this evil? And God says, oh, I'm going to fix it. I'm sending the Babylonians in there. We're going to take care of it. No, not that, Lord. Something else, you know. He doesn't like this. How can God, he said, how can you use such an evil nation to punish Judah? Well, because Judah's evil. So he's traumatized by this revelation. And he says in 3.16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. He's so upset by what he's hearing, he's going to be, he's traumatized by it. So what's he going to do? Here stands a shaken prophet, and his prophet, his problems are real, okay? He's in fear as for his nation, like many of us are in fear of our nation. He's talking about the wiping out of his nation. This is serious stuff. In verse 12 of chapter 1, he starts to remind himself about Yahweh. Are you not from everlasting, O Yahweh, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Yahweh. You have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. So what he's doing here is developing his own catechism. A catechism means to teach orally by repetition. You have question and answers. You get the question, you get the answer. And you learn by this, okay? So he's using this question and answer format, and he goes, aren't you from everlasting? That requires an affirmative reply. God, you're eternal. You're bigger than history. Your plan is always good. And he says, oh, Yahweh, my God. In other words, Yahweh, the eternal I am, the self-existent God who's uninfluenced. My Holy One, you don't make any mistakes. He says, you who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He says, you're holy and you have to deal with sin. We deserve this. God, you're the eternal self-existent Holy One. 
We're not going to die. You made a covenant with us. And you can't lie. You're not going to destroy us. You're disciplining us. So God is sovereign. He is in control. And that's what Habakkuk is doing here. He's reminding himself of all this. And he's saying, everything I know about you, God tells me, to stop worrying. You're in control. Habakkuk 2.4, he says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. People, that's what it's all about. That's the principle. The righteous are to live by faith, trusting God. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance. But in order to trust God, we have to know Him. And that's the problem today. We don't know Him because we're not spending time in the Bible, first of all. And the most churches aren't teaching the Bible, so how are people knowing anything about God? David said, those who know your name will put their trust in you. Now, we've talked about this many times. In the Hebrew, name means character. It's what's behind that person. Their name is their character. So those who know the character of Yahweh, when you know what the Bible teaches about Him, when you know who He is, you'll trust Him. The problem is we don't know Him. Do you know Him well enough to have confidence that you believe that everything is okay in the midst of the adversity, in the midst of the worst circumstances, you're just saying, God knows what He's doing, I'm going to rest here. To know God's name is to know Him in an intimate, personal way. And we have to understand that that calls for faith, because we can't please Him without faith. True peace and true freedom from anxiety can only be found as we're trusting in the sovereign God of the universe. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, he says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in Yahweh forever. For Yah, Yahweh, is an everlasting rock. Trust him. Your mind will be at peace. Your life will be at peace when your mind is focused on God and not on the problems that are coming your way. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will trust in the name. There you go again. The name of Yahweh. We'll trust in our God's character. What the psalmist is saying here, we trust in our own strength too much. That's what the chariots and horses. These are, these are battle things. Okay? We're trusting in our might. We're trusting in, we got a lot of horses. We got a lot of chariots. We're trusting in that. No. We're going to trust in the character of our God. And we're able to do this when we know His name. Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who among you fears Yahweh and obeys the voice of His servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of Yahweh and rely on His God. So Isaiah exhorted the servants to walk by faith, trusting in the name of God. Now in Habakkuk 3, back to Habakkuk. In chapter 3, he outlines the worst possible situation. Okay, He's going through this, and he's, what's going to happen? God's going to use this Chaldeans to come in here and judge us. How are we going to deal with this? All right, look what he says here. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, he's going through everything they have that gives them life, that they survive on. This is their whole living, okay? The fig tree, the fruit on the vines... The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. We have nothing to eat. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stalls. 
This is total economic collapse. They got nothing. And watch what he says. Yet, I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So Habakkuk is saying here, okay, no matter how bad the circumstances get, I can rejoice in my God. He's unchanging. He's faithful. I'll trust Him. I'll find my joy and I'll find my contentment in Him. Now, this is a stable man, and his stability is related to his view of God. He says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And again, salvation here is better translated as deliverance. God will take care of me. He'll deliver me. Believers, we have to understand that whatever we're dealing with, however difficult our circumstances must be, we have to remember that God is sovereign. That doesn't mean we like the circumstance we're in, but we can trust them because He's in control. And we know He loves us. Revelation 19.6 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Hallelujah is an exclamation of praise. It frequently occurs in the book of Psalms, meaning praise Yahweh. This is a praise to God because of the fact He's ruling. It's the fa- This is... Reality, is this a reality in your life that God is in control and ruling over every event and circumstance? As you see things happening in this country that greatly disturb you or happening in your life that greatly disturb you, do you remember that God is reigning? I know when it's, when experiencing anxiety in my life and last two years has been a lot of it dealing with the country, I have to keep going back, uh, God's in control. I have to keep reminding myself of my theology. No matter what happens, no matter what they say, no matter how bad it gets, God is seated on the throne. He's sovereign. And I have to just go over my theology. When I remind myself of what I believe. And when I do that, I find my countenance is refreshed. My perspective changes. Because as I review my theology, I ask myself the same question that David asked himself in the Psalms. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. We can trust Him. We can trust Him. Nations have come. Nations have gone. God is forever. And after viewing my theology, particularly the doctrine of God's sovereignty, I find myself saying, Hallelujah! The Lord God Almighty reigns. That's a great place to be. So how well do you know your God? And I don't mean just know about Him, but know Him. Because people, we have to understand this. The highest science... The loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of our great God who calls Himself our Father. And what comes into your minds when you think about God, that is the most important thing about you. Because worship is either pure or based as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. And no subject of contemplation will tend more humble the mind than thoughts of God, thus preparing us to worship. Knowing God is not just a matter of theology. It's crucially important to the living of our lives because all conscious behavior is preceded by and arises out of our thoughts. And if we want to live a stable life in an unstable world, we need to understand that Yahweh is sovereign. 
And by sovereign, we mean he possesses and exercises supreme authority and control in all creation, including man. I think any Christian you talk to will say God's sovereign until you press what sovereignty means. Then they're backpedal. Well, not that sovereign. He doesn't rule all this. What does sovereign mean? He's sovereign. So what does the Bible say about the sovereignty of God? We'll have to look at that, all right? Modern political science and modern religion hold to the theory that sovereignty resides in the individual. And that's pretty much where we're at here. We think, God, oh, it's up to the individual. We need to guard our thinking because left to ourselves, we tend to immediately reduce God into manageable terms. We want to get God to a place we can use Him. We want God that we can somehow, in some measure, control. The control of God, I think, is the whole underlying theme of the positive confession movement. We want to control this God. Pink summed it up this way. The God of modern religious thought no more resembles the supreme sovereign of the Bible than does the dim flickering of a candle resemble the glory of the noonday sun. Amen. And that's true. And we, that's, If it was true in Pink's day, how true is it today? Okay? I mean, we've got churches closing because hey, it's New Year. We've got to get our priorities right. Right? Why would you want to go to church? I had someone ask me, you're having church on Christmas? I'm like, yeah, it's Sunday. Well, what, what about families want to be together? I'm like, we better be together in church, worshiping God together. I just, I, I don't know, maybe I'm out, <laughs> a little odd, I guess, but I don't get some of this stuff. When we say God is sovereign, we're saying that God has absolute right to rule. Not only absolute right, He does rule over everything. Let me show you some scriptures that talk about God's rule. First Chronicles 29, 11-13. Yours, O Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. All that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Yahweh, and you are exalted as His head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. We praise you, God, because you're controlling everything. Psalm 47, 7 and 8 says, For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with psalm. God reigns over the nations. Boy, if you listen to mainstream media now, you're probably a little bit afraid because everybody's, you know, China's threatening to go to war with Taiwan. You know, Russia's invading Ukraine. we got all this war. It's about to, everything in the world's about to collapse. Listen, God reigns over these nations. Nobody's going to war without God's permission, without God's express command. Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. Remember the former things of old. For I'm God, there is no other. I'm God, and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. God, He has a plan, and He declares this is what's going to happen. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, I will accomplish all my purpose. Whatever God purposes, He carries out. Calling a bird of prey from the east, a man of my counsel from a far country. I've spoken. I'll bring it to pass. I purposed, and I will do it. This is one of my favorite verses, Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Can you do that? No, you can't, because there's too many things stopping some of the things you please. But God can do whatever He pleases, because there's nobody to hinder Him, nobody to stop Him. He can do whatever He wants. He calls all the shots. He rules over everything. Why? Because He's God. 
And he defends his sovereignty on the basis of creation. Does that make sense? God said, I created, I control. He created, I guess he can do whatever he wants with his creation. Right? And we see that in the book of Job. You know, where God just says, hey, look, Job, let me, let me show you how I made all this. Where were you when I created all this? And Job finally just says, okay, Lord, <laughs> I, I don't even want to say anything anymore when I see your creation. So, how would you do in Job's situation? What if you came home to find your house burned to the ground with all your belongings and you had no insurance? I know you can answer that question, Sharon. Probably one of the few people who could. How do you respond to that? Would you question God? What if one of your children died? And McCormick couldn't respond to that. What if all your children died? Would you question God? What if you became ill and you couldn't work? And you didn't have insurance. Would you question God? What if you lost everything in one cataclysmic event? Your job, your car, your house, your savings, your children. How would you respond? People, I know Christians today that get upset with God because they had a flat tire. I'm serious. I'm not exaggerating. They're like, why did God let this happen to me? And I'm like, what in the world are you even talking about? These are first world problems, right? We're mad at God because our tire went flat. I mean, God shouldn't allow that to happen, should He? We're His children. I mean, why? (laughs) This is how stupid people are today, okay? Well, in the book of Job, we have a true story about a man who went through some experiences. And look how he responded. He just lost majority of his wealth is wiped out. Ten of his children just died. It says, Job arose. He tore his robe. He shaved his head. He fell on the ground. And he worshipped. It's hard to even grasp people. You just, you're, you're devastated with pain. I've seen people curse God when they're devastated, when things go wrong. I've seen them raise their fist to heaven and curse God. But Job says, you're worthy. And he falls on his face before, and he worships God in the midst of a tragedy. And he says this. This is his theology. Naked I came from my mother's room. That's right. I was born. I didn't have a thing. Naked shall I return. When I go back, I'm not taking anything with me, right? The Lord gave, and Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. It says, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. That's really important, because I want you to see that Job didn't view God as passive here. He didn't say, Yahweh let this happen, or Yahweh allowed Satan to do this to me. What does he say? God did this to me. That's what he says. Yahweh has taken away. His ten children just died. He's lost all his livestock. And he says, God did this to me. If you said that today in church, people would go crazy. What? God, no, devil did it. Well, look what it says. It says, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. He said, Yahweh took away. He viewed it from... Taken from the hand of God in his response to this is worship. In the midst of the worst calamity, he worships God. Of course, his wife tells him to curse God and die. But he says, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall I receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. We all think God is good when he gives us what we want. And I really think, you know, when you hear Christians say, praise the Lord, that means everything's going my way. Praise God, everything's going the way I want it to. But when it doesn't, we begin to question. 
We begin to struggle. I dealt with a man who almost, I thought he was going to lose his faith because his dog died. Why would God let that happen? I'm like, really? That's life. Everybody dies. I mean, why would you be so bent out of you know? I, and I know the pain of losing a companion animal like that. It's hard, but I mean, really, you're going to question God like your dog should live forever? We just have such a crazy perspective on life. This is an incredible response. Job's, Job's response is nothing short of amazing when you think of how you might do in his sandals. How could he be so strong? How could he stand like this? How could he deal with life like this? Well, I think 20, Job 23, 12 gives us an idea. He says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Job says, God's word is more important to me than food. How many Americans can you say that to? How many meals have you missed this week? How many spiritual meals have you missed this week? One of the church fathers used to have this saying, no Bible, no breakfast. It's a good plan, okay? I don't eat breakfast anyway, so I'd have to say lunch or whatever, (laughs) dinner, whatever. But the idea is, you got to spend time in the Word of God. And he says, the words that come from God, they're more important to me than my food. That's how you can respond to situations like this, because you know God from His Word. God's sovereign. He created, He controls. The Scripture shows that God exercised sovereign rule over everything there is. He exercises sovereignty over the physical universe, over the plant and the animal creation, over the nations of the earth, over individuals. Let's look at some of the texts that Scripture tells us. First of all, He rules over the physical universe. Okay, It tells us God controls the sun, the wind, the rain, the hail, the snow, the ice, the ground. Many times in Scripture, lack of rain, drought is a judgment from God because He controls those things. The heavenly bodies, He controls the sun, the stars. They obey His will. Do you remember when Korah challenged Moses' authority? He says, Moses, you're taking too much authority on yourself. Who the heck do you think you are? So he says, okay, well, let's talk about that. Moses said, hereby you shall know that Yahweh has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men, Korah and his troop, if these men die as all men die, if they're not If they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then Yahweh has not sent me. These guys just happen to have a heart attack or die or snake bites. Them. If they die the regular men die, then I'm not sent by God. But if Yahweh creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know these men have despised Yahweh. And as soon as he finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up. Now you're an Israelite. (laughs) And Korah is challenging Moses' authority. Moses said, okay, if God sent me, then here's what's going to happen. Boom, you see, see, what do you want to do? Yes, Moses, whatever you say. That's for sure. 
all their households and all the people who belong to Korah and their goods. So so they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. So God just opens the ground up, they all fall in and shuts it. And after this, Israelites still argue with Moses. I mean, how dumb are you? You know, <laughs> How dumb can you be? Listen, God uses the elements as expressions of His goodness and love, but He can also use the elements as instruments of His discipline and chastening. So God sovereignly rules over the physical universe. I mean, He can cause the earth to just open up and swallow people. He also rules over the plant and animal creation. In the book of Jonah, we see God's control over a fish, over a gourd, and over a worm. Yes, a worm. Okay? Jonah 1.17. Yahweh appointed a great fish. See, they threw, him, they threw Jonah overboard, and God had a fish waiting for him. Okay? Some hungry fish. He throws him in, swallows him up. Swallowed up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, not a great place to be, okay? Pretty nasty in there, I'm sure. Well, chapter 4, it says, Now Yahweh, God, appointed a plant. He made it come up over Jonah that it might provide shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Jonah's mad at God right here. Do you know why? Because God saved a bunch of people. Okay, that he's mad at God because God saved these people. And what he says, God, I knew you were like this. I knew you were loving and a gracious and a kind God. That's why I didn't want to come here. Because I knew you'd save these people. And he hated those people. He didn't want them saved. So he's mad at God because God saved those people. God, that's why I ran. I knew you'd do this. He's so mad. So he's, now he's happy. Oh, I got this plant. This plant is bringing me great joy. He was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So watch. So when Don came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so it withered. (laughs) He's trying to teach Jonah a lesson. You're worried about a plant that comes up in a day and is gone, but you don't care about these people? What's wrong with you? Now, Hebrew, the word appoint here is manah, and it means to weigh out, to allot, to constitute officially, to appoint or to prepare. So God prepared a plant. He prepared a worm. He prepared a fish. Because he, he controls everything. <laughs> Jonah's a great book to learn and study when you're going to go to a soul winning course. Because they're going to teach you all these techniques on how to win souls. Jonah didn't know any of them. He's like, I hope you don't get saved. I hope you all burn in hell and then God saves everybody. That's not a good soul winner, Right? God is sovereign over the salvation of people. The more, the better we learn that, the quicker we learn that, the, the better off we're going to be in our evangelistic efforts, okay? You know, we also see God's sovereignty over fish as Peter fishes all night and catches nothing, right? He didn't, didn't catch a thing. Then the Lord says, hey, throw the net on the other side of the boat. Peter's like, really? There's no fish on this side, but they're on that side of the boat? So he does. He catches the net, and he can't even pull them in because it's so full because God said all the fish go in Peter's net. And then we see Balaam's donkey talking to him. That's probably not a big deal. I've heard a lot of donkeys speak. (laughs) 
I mean, you see it all the time on social media. You see it every time a government official steps up to talk, you know? Okay. <laughs> How about all the animals lining up to get on the ark before the flood? You think Noah went out and caught all those? No. They, God sent them over there. Get on the ark. How about God feeding Elijah by the brook Cherith? He says, you shall drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of Yahweh. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is in the east of Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, I've read a lot of liberal scholarship on this. Well, they're not really bird ravens. They're, they explain them away as something else, because liberals can't have supernatural stuff in the Bible, okay? They can't have God doing supernatural things. Listen, he's God. He does stuff like this, okay? And this is the original bird feeder, okay? <laughs> he's controlling these things because he's sovereign. When Yahweh moved his people out of captivity from Egypt by controlling the water, the insects, the animals, the disease, and death, we also see in that story of the Exodus that God rules over gods, other gods. We see this in Exodus 12, 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. All these things that, you know, the frog, the, the Egyptians had a frog god, heck, they worshipped the frog. He said, you like frogs? Have some frogs. They're everywhere. I love that story because Moses said to Pharaoh, when do you want me to remove the frogs? And he said, tomorrow. I thought, tomorrow? One more night with the frogs. Why not? You know, I'm like, how ridiculous is this? But these are gods and God is literally showing you want to worship these things? I'm the God who's over all gods. Okay? We see that same thing in Numbers 33.4. While the Egyptians were bearing all their firstborn, whom Yahweh had struck down among them, of their gods also Yahweh executed judgment. So God is sovereign and He rules over the physical universe, the literal ground, plant and animal creation. He rules over every other god. And He rules over the nations. And this is seen so clearly in the book of Daniel. In the face of the might and the splendor of the Babylonian Empire, God says, I'm in control. I rule over all this stuff. The book as a whole of Daniel forms a dramatic reminder that the God of Israel is King of kings and Lord of lords. God's hand is on history, and at every point, history is just nothing more than His story. And the central truth taught through the book of Daniel is that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever He will. We see in Daniel 1.9 that God brings Daniel into favor with the prince of eunuchs. God gives them favor. They like Daniel. They let him do what he wanted to do. You don't have to eat our diet. You can eat what you want because God brought him in favor. In chapter 2, God controls the dreams and he removes and he sets up kings. Daniel 2.21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Now, if he did that, do you think he could do that with presidents maybe? Could he do that with governors? With all politicians? Listen, God removes God sets up. Daniel says later he puts over it the basest of men. Boy, do we know that, huh? <laughs> he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have no understanding. In chapter 3, we see that God controls fire. It has no effect on the servants. 
In chapter 4, we see God controlling men's hearts. Daniel 4.16, Let his mind be changed from a man's mind, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over. Nebuchadnezzar becomes an animal out in the yard, scrounging around and living like a wild animal. Until he recognized that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. When he turned his head up and said, Okay, God, you're in control. God restored his mind. In chapter 5, again, God sets up and removes kings. In chapter 6, God controls the lions. Daniel knew God was sovereign. His theology kept him strong in the midst of the circumstances. He got in the lion's den and gets the biggest one over. Lay down. He's on a pillow. He lays down and he sleeps in the lion's den. The king's up all night because he doesn't understand God's sovereignty. And people say, well, those lions just weren't hungry. Well, they sure ate everybody else. When they got Daniel out, they threw all these other guys in there and they ate them up. Their whole families just crunched them alive. Daniel knew God was in control. God sovereignly rules over physical creation, people. Everything about creation, He rules. He rules over the plant and animal creation, the gods, the nations. He rules over every area of man's existence. He's sovereign over the birth of man. We see this so often, 1 Samuel 1.5. But, but to Hannah, He gave a double portion because He loved her, though Yahweh had closed her womb. She didn't have kids because... Yahweh closed her womb. Genesis 20:18. Yahweh had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech. God does that. Genesis 32. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. I like this. Rachel's mad at Jacob because she's not having kids. And he goes, am I in the place of God? I can't, I can't do that. Who withheld you from the fruit of the womb? God does that stuff, not me. God is sovereign over our birth. God is sovereign over our career. He's sovereign over our death as well. He provides for every one of our needs. Look at Matthew 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat? What will you drink? About your body, what will you put on it? Now, in this country, we don't worry too much about those things, right? (laughs) Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? God cares about the birds and He takes care. He'll take care of His children, the people that His Son died for. The omnipotent God who reigns, He cares for us. And Peter says, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. The God who orders every event in time cares about His children. That ought to give us some comfort. God gives us safety. He says, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Yahweh, make me dwell in safety. He provides for our good. For you bless the righteous, O Yahweh. You cover Him with favor as a shield. He sustains us. Psalm 63, 8. My soul clings to you, your right hand. Upholds me. God works all things together for good. Romans 8.28 And we know that for those who love God, and that's referring to believers, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Now this couldn't be true if God wasn't controlling everything. But He protects, He provides, He sustains His people through natural and supernatural means. Our God is in control of everything. He's sovereign over germs. If you believe in germs. 
In 2 Chronicles 26, he smote Uzziah with leprosy. Acts 12, he smote King Herod with worms and he died. God controls the battles. You remember the battle that Gideon fought in Judges? He had an army of 300 men. And they had some serious weaponry. They had pitchers and lights and torches and trumpets. <laughs> and they went to battle with that. And they smashed the pitches so the lights would show and they blew the trumpets and the other army killed each other. Jehoshaphat went into battle in Second Chronicles and he said, hey, put all the singers out front. Get the musicians out front and lead us. They got to the battle, everybody's dead. They didn't even have to fight. They just went and got to take the spoil of everything that was there. All right? God determines the times and circumstances of our life, of our death. He's sovereign over the thinking process of man. Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of Yahweh. Turns it wherever he will. If that's true of the king, it's true of the peasant and the pauper too. God controls the thoughts of man. He's sovereign. We can rest in his care. I think you get the picture, right? He's absolutely sovereign over the universe. And the sovereignty of God is the ground for peace and confidence of all His people. They rejoice that the Lord God Almighty reigns. Neither chance nor malice of men controls the events of their life and their issues. And since the king's heart is in God's hands, why do we worry about the king? We're to seek first and foremost to please God. Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. He wants us to trust Him. Often that's why He brings very difficult circumstances into our lives, so we can trust Him. We can learn that He's faithful. You know, we believe the biblical accounts, yet we doubt God's control in our everyday lives. Yeah, we think God God protected, preserved, and cared for His saints, but I'm not sure He's still controlling things in America. Really? Really? That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? He controls everything, everywhere. He's sovereign. He controls it all. What more can we ask for? If we worry and fret, I think it's only because, as Martin Luther said to Erasmus, Luther said, your thoughts of God are too human. I think that's one of our biggest weaknesses. We want to bring God down to a level we can control. Our thoughts of God are way too human. He's not human. He's God. He's the creator of everything. So I want to ask you this morning, is Yahweh sovereign over everything? Yes, He is. So don't let your circumstances cause you to fear. Don't let your circumstances cause you to drool on yourself. Trust Him. No matter what's going on in the country, no matter what's going on with our politicians, no matter what's going on in your individual life, you can trust Him. And that's what He wants from you is your trust. Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And as the psalm said, those who know your name will put their trust in you. So I want to challenge you this morning to to spend time this year in the Word of God. Get to know your God in an intimate way. In a way that when calamity comes, you smile. Because I can't wait to see what you're going to do here, God. He's the God of the miraculous people. And we don't always see it, but at times when we need it, we do. He'll give us what we need to get through what we're going through. Just trust Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You this morning for the opportunity to look at Your Word. I thank You for another year, Lord, that You've given us. 
I pray it'd be a year we'd honor you first and foremost above everything that we do. That people who know our name, Lord, would know us as a God-fearer, someone who loves and trusts their God. Thank you, Father, for the scriptures. May we take advantage of what we have in this day and age and spend time in the Word of God learning you, obeying you, loving you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.